Good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm one of the I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you on Easter weekend, and you guys watching live stream, and Rachel, Brent did a great job, so um, people in the atrium, it's just great to, to be with you doing this today, so um, I'm very excited just to think, too, about the scope of today, so I've had the privilege of meeting and seeing believers in different countries like Japan and India and Russia and Ukraine and Sudan and Ethiopia. And it's just really cool to think about how broad this gospel that we're celebrating today is, that there are people literally all around the world. There's up to a billion people that identify as followers of Jesus on our planet today. So what we celebrate today is very significant and is being shared all around the world. And so in a lot of these contexts, one thing that is a tradition that you see in various places uh, is that a leader up front like me will shout out on Easter, he is risen, and then everybody in the crowd shouts back, he is risen indeed. All right, let's do that. So everybody stand up and we get, you'll get deep down into your lungs with this and let's just belt it out. Atrium people, I want to hear you. You guys live streaming, it might be a little awkward, we'll just yell it out in your living rooms or wherever you are. Maybe not the coffee shops, you might get tossed out, but uh, let's try this. So he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. All right, that's awesome. You guys are great. Grab a seat on that. All right, so that's why we're here. He is risen. So, and that is our hope today. And so when we talk about hope, we got to capture that word for a little bit today because hope means a couple different things when you throw out that word hope. So like when I was a kid, Easter hope would mean that I found more Easter eggs than my brother. Like I, I hope, I wish for that. Or we used to fill the eggs with candy sometimes. I would hope that mine would not have black jelly beans. I just did not like the black jelly beans. Or I would hope that I would get some of those crunchy eggs, you know, the, that you can eat the candy. I don't know what those are officially called, but I loved those. So um, those would be more like Easter hopes. And so uh, maybe other Easter hopes would be for a short sermon right? Or for a good buffet, or that the ham turns out okay, or that everybody gets along at the Easter dinner afterwards, those kind of things. Or maybe this time of year, you might think of hope, like I hope the Cubs win the World Series, right? Or um, uh, Loyola last night, poor sister Jean, like her hopes were a little bit crushed last night, but then they were amazing. They had a great run in the tournament. Um, Think about little kid hopes sometimes. I hope I get to play in the NBA someday. Like, I hope I get to be an astronaut someday. Those kind of things when you think about hope. But that kind of hope tends to be more like wishful thinking, right? Like positive thinking, like maybe those things will happen for me. And we need much more than just wishful thinking to bank our lives on. Because unfortunately, we live in a world that's pretty good about crushing people's hope, right? We live in a hope-killing world in a lot of ways. So like, for example... Uh, you might make a high school basketball team, and that might be good, but your chances of going from there to the NBA are like 0.03%. Like, whoa. Okay, so that's, that's a hope killer right there, a dream killer. There we go. So the last time NASA needed astronauts, they needed eight, and they got 18,000 applicants for those eight spots. So there's so many things we may wish for, long for. Maybe as we get older, too, you wish for, hope for, uh, good friendships, but friends can change and friends can move or you hope for a good marriage or you hope for a fulfilling career. A lot of the things that you heard Chris mention in the video, things that he was looking for or hoping for, leaning his life on, those aren't cutting it for us today. In fact, what's amazing is that we are living in a time where, where we have as a society, as American culture, we have more things, we have more wealth and we're living longer than any people that have ever walked in this planet. And yet at the same time, there is despair and hopelessness in our world in in unprecedented ways. 
the suicide rates in our country have just skyrocketed over the last 20 years. And you know the demographic where it's hitting the, mo- the worst in our country today is the age 10 to 14 girls. Like that kind of stuff just crushes my heart. Like what's going on? And I think today we live in a country that is just greatly in need of hope, not wishful thinking, but a confidence, a true satisfying hope that we can rely on. And so that's why we gather on Easter. We celebrate Jesus as a living hope. And again, this isn't wishful thinking. You're going to hear this morning that our hope in Jesus is based on the confidence that we know he is no longer in a tomb. He is alive. He has risen. And that's what we celebrate today. And so as a people, as the people of Parkview, since the Sunday after the Iowa State game, it was a long time ago, the football game. So that was back in last fall. We started studying the gospel of Mark together. It's one of the stories of the life of Christ. And today we wrap up that study by looking at Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. And it's the Easter story. And we kind of plan that to land Mark on today. So excited to read to you the Easter story. And we're going to see the hope that we have because Christ is alive, all right? So the verses will be up on the screen or you can follow in your Bible. Mark chapter 16, verse one. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out, and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll dig into that passage together. So before I speak, what if you just pray quickly here and just say, God, would you show me something fresh, something new about the hope you offer me through Jesus. Just ask God to speak to you today. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that we get to gather in such an amazing day like this. It's awesome to see kids and families all here together. Um, So fun to think about people watching in different venues, live stream, but I thank you that we rally together around this significant truth that Jesus is risen. He is not in a tomb. And I pray that you would speak to your people the hope that you offer us today. In your great name we pray, amen. All right, so from this passage, we're gonna see three things. We're gonna see a hope for the hopeless. We're gonna see a hope for the helpless. And we're gonna see a hope for humanity, all right? So hope for the helpless, or I'm sorry, for the hopeless. Let's start with these women who were going to Jesus' tomb on this morning. These guys had their hopes absolutely crushed. 
Have you had moments like that in your life where something you were hoping in or something you were leaning on, a relationship you were depending on, is suddenly gone or suddenly changed? These women had spent a couple years with a group of people following Jesus, and he had changed their lives. He had loved them like they had never been loved before. He had cared for them and taught them and shown them the way, like you heard Brent talking about earlier. They had shown them a whole new way to live. And so they had just traveled 100 miles with Jesus from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And their hopes were that Jesus was going to roll into Jerusalem and become the anointed Messiah, to become the king of the Jews. But Jesus had a totally different plan. This time in his travels to Jerusalem, he was going to lay down his life. And so Jesus was arrested, he was crucified, and he was buried. And these women saw that. They saw the the crucifixion. They saw where Jesus' body was laid and their hopes were crushed. So that was Friday afternoon where Jesus was, was crucified on the cross and laid in a tomb. And this is now Sunday morning that these women are going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices. It was a tradition done in their day. And they weren't able to do it on Friday, which would have been a preference because that death and that trial happened so quickly. And then Saturday would have been the Sabbath and the Passover celebration. So they couldn't go until Sunday morning. And even you might ask, well, why were they going? And maybe this is one of those examples that love dies harder than hope. Even though their hopes were gone, they were still so loyal and they loved Jesus and they had to do just one more thing for him. But when they got to the tomb, there was an angel there. And so poor angels, like whenever you see them in the Bible, the first thing they always have to say is fear not because they are so imposing and dazzling. And so, but this angel, in fact, if you look through the Bible, one of the key roles of an angel is to give a message from God. They're God's messengers. And this particular angel had the most significant message that has ever been spoken on the planet that Jesus is risen. He is no longer here. That was their hope. Hope for the hopeless was that Jesus is no longer dead, but Jesus is alive. That is an astonishing statement, guys. That is what changes our lives because our greatest enemies, sin and death, have been defeated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is great news. Like that is great hope for the hopeless. In fact, Jesus said at one other time, he said, I am the resurrection in the life that whoever believes in me will never die. So not only has Jesus defeated sin and death, but now he offers that to any one of us that put our faith in him, that death is not final for anybody who is in Christ. He was the first of many that will be brought back from the dead. That is great hope for us today. So um, I just love when the Bible talks about the resurrection and the resurrection hope. The Bible's kind of mindset isn't like, just believe it, just deal with it. The Bible's mindset and tone is like, hey, if you don't understand that, check it out. Like, this is really important. So 1 Corinthians 15, for example, is a whole chapter in the Bible that talks about the resurrection. And look at these two verses. Verse 17 says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Look at verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Like you would be a little bit surprised to find those in the Bible, but the truth is, if Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, this, this whole Christian thing is a joke. Like we're a bunch of fools, April fools. Like we're, we're just a bunch of fools to be believing in this stuff, right? But, but it's absolutely true. The tone of the Bible is, you check it out. 
because this really happened. And so that's been part of my story. You heard a little bit of Brent's story in his 20s where he found that Jesus was the way. My story's a little bit different. I, I was raised in a home where mom and dad believed this. And I went through high school with some buddies that um, I had a great setup. We played sports together on our high school teams. They also believed in Jesus. And so kind of all the way through high school, I just kind of, kind of rode along with, yeah, Jesus is alive and he's my hope. But when I got to college here at the University of Iowa, parents were taken away. I didn't, I mean, they're still, still around, but I, they just weren't here, right? So they didn't live in my dorm with me. So, um, and then my friend group changed. And so I didn't know any Christians. And in fact, the first couple months here in different classes and different conversations, people were basically dismantling my faith and throwing a lot of skepticism and a lot of like, how do you know this is true? How do you know? And I remember a couple nights in my dorm at Hillcrest just thinking, like, have I wasted 18 years of my life? Is this stuff really true? And for me, the place I began to investigate is in the resurrection of Jesus. Because you just saw what the Bible said. If Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, this is all a joke. Like, don't, so don't worry about all the other issues. Let's just talk about the resurrection. And as I did that, um, God just showed me evidence after evidence that we can know there's a lot of evidence that shows us that Jesus really is alive. And so if you're new this morning or new to this, some of the things we have for you at Parfu Connect are some, some resources you can use to begin your own journey in investigating. Because this is important. If Jesus is alive, that changes everything, all right? And so three things that really helped me as I did that investigation is, number one, uh, the empty tomb of Jesus. That even the critics of the Christian movement at that time uh, did not say um, their conclusion was the tomb was empty, but they had to come up with other explanations for why it was empty. They said, well, somebody stole the body or they went to the wrong tomb, but, but it was undeniable that the tomb of Jesus was empty. And, um, you know, when the women got to the tomb and the stone, stone was rolled away, please know that that stone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could get out. Like if you could overcome death, trust me, moving a stone is probably not a big deal to you, right? So Jesus could have moved that. I really think the stone was rolled away so that the angel could see, come and look, check it out. There is no body here. And later when the disciples went to check it out, they went in the tomb. So I think that stone was rolled away for us that want to investigate and see if this is true. And the tomb uh, was empty. And so Empty tomb really helped me. The second one was the eyewitnesses. There's so many people that saw resurrected Jesus. This wasn't just a couple of people making up a story. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul was talking about the resurrection, he said there were over 500 believers that saw Jesus at one time. Then he said something like, most of them are still around, but some have fallen asleep. So by then, some had died. But Paul's saying like, hey, if you don't believe me, what I'm saying about the resurrection... There are a ton of people. You go talk to them. You check it out, and you see that Jesus is alive. And the third, probably the most compelling evidence for me, was the way lives changed. These eyewitnesses didn't just see a resurrected Jesus, go, oh, that's kind of nice, and stay the same. Like, they radically changed. And you could start with the disciples that, um, as you read through the Gospels, these guys were probably like we would have been, like dropping the ball a lot. They were afraid. They didn't, weren't for sure who Jesus was. But once they saw resurrected Jesus, they were totally different people. 11 of the 12 died for preaching about the resurrection. We have seen a risen Christ. These guys changed. The only guy that didn't die was boiled alive, didn't die, so they sent him into exile. So the point is, none of them got rich off this message. These guys suffered greatly, but these guys' lives were changed because they saw a resurrected Christ. You know, another thing is that 
Um, it, it's hard to describe where these guys would have gotten the whole concept of a resurrection in the first place. If they were influenced by Jewish thought in that day, they would have thought resurrection was something that happens at the end of time for everybody. They didn't have the concept of one person rising. And if they were influenced by Greek thought in that day, there wouldn't even be a concept of a bodily resurrection. So they started preaching a message that they didn't really know anything about or have any background to. And these average, ordinary men just began to preach a message, and the Christian church exploded right away. If the enemies wanted to shut that movement down, all they had to do was show an empty tomb. But you couldn't shut these eyewitnesses up. These lives were changed by the gospel. Even though Jesus told them like five different times, he told them, I'm going to die and rise again. I'm going to die, rise again. So three times he told them, I'm going to die, and then three days later, rise again. So you would have thought if they were dialing in on this, if they understood it, there, there would have been a huge tailgater at the tomb. Like on Sunday morning, they'd be partying, you know, instead of Metallica and her Sandman, it would have been and her Godman, you know, maybe just tweak the lyrics a little bit. They'd be pounding it. They'd have their Jesus shirts on, counting countdown clock and everything. These guys were scared to death. They were hiding. Only the women were brave enough to go to the tomb. So these guys had no idea, but their lives were changed when they saw resurrected Jesus. So there's hope for the hopeless. And we see also that there is hope for the helpless, all right? In this whole gospel message, hope for the helpless. So these women, I mean, just incredibly noble and loyal going to the tomb. Uh, but I think in their grief and kind of the franticness of the moment, they had forgotten an important detail. Like, guys, how are we gonna roll this stone away? Oh, we didn't think about that, you know? So as they're getting to the tomb, as they get closer, they see that that's not an issue for them because God had rolled away the stone. God had taken care of the way that they were gonna get into the tomb. And so another core of the Christian message of Easter is that these women, maybe they didn't understand it fully yet, but they had a far greater need than to have a stone rolled away so they could have access to see the body of Jesus. The greatest need that we share with them is that there is a barrier between us and our creator God. There's a barrier between us and this God who loves us, and that barrier is our sin. We have rebelled against this holy God. And so as hard as it would be to roll away a stone, it is impossible for us to take away the barrier between us and God and our sin. I love how Brent said it. Brent said he couldn't find the way. He couldn't be his own way. He needed Jesus to be his way. And that's the core of the Christian message. You could ask and answer two questions. Question one could be, why did Jesus have to die? Like if he's such a great teacher and he did all these great things, why did he have to die? In his own words, Jesus said this, that even the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when Jesus went to the cross, he took the penalty that I deserve and that you deserve for the sins that we've committed against each other and especially against a holy God. That's what separates us from God. But Jesus stepped in to take care of that. He paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. Why did Jesus have to die? Because we're sinful and we couldn't cover for our own sins. And he loved us enough to die for us, okay? That's part one of the Christian message. Part two then is, well, then how do I receive that? Like, how does what Jesus did on the cross begin to apply to me? And the Bible describes that as a step of faith, that faith would be believing that Jesus died in your place. Faith would be you admitting that you can't save yourself, that you are in trouble, that you are broken by sin. 
but that you are accepting what God has offered you through his son, Jesus Christ. That's faith, all right? And so John three sixteen, one of the most known Bible verses, says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have everlasting life. And I love that concept of everlasting. It's not just eternal, like you'll live forever. It's not just a duration, but it's also a quality that as soon as you receive Jesus as your savior, he sets you free now to start living a whole new way with a whole different uh, confidence and hope than you had before you met him. So it begins now and it goes on for eternity. I love this summary statement of the gospel is that we are more broken and sinful than we could ever imagine. But at the same time, we are far more loved than we would dare to dream. And that's the essence of, of the gospel. And so, um, I don't know if I'll ever forget this, but last Easter um, weekend, after the fourth service, I was out there in the uh, foyer just talking with folks. And this guy comes up to me and he says, uh, something just happened to me in that room. And so I immediately start thinking negative, like one of you guys pushed him or like, I don't know, or somebody stole something from him or I was like, oh no, what happened, you know? And he's like, no, 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 like something happened to me in there. I felt like God spoke to me in there. Because I've never had that happen before. Do you have one of these in Northeast Iowa? I go, one of these, you mean like a church? Like, yeah, Jesus has these all around the world. Like they are, they're pretty awesome. Yeah, there's probably one up there, you know, but he was just, this is all new to him. And he began to unpack his story. He said, well, I'm in Iowa City because yesterday my 12-year-old son tried to take his life and I didn't want to mess with any of our hospitals up there. I just brought him to university. I said, help my son. And so he stayed there overnight and I stayed in a motel and I just tripped out on opioids all night long. And I woke up this morning just so disoriented, but I felt like God said, you got to go to Easter. You got to go to church for Easter. So I just Googled Iowa City Easter and Parfi popped up. That's why I'm here. So do you have one of these in my hometown? Like just, just like that. So we began a relationship. Uh, we were able to meet the next day and over time just presented the message of hope that we have in Jesus. And we prayed a ton. And I mean, it went months with his son. But you guys, I got, a, got an update uh, a couple of days ago. I said, hey man, it's almost a year ago since I met you. You know, how are you doing? And he just sent me this amazing text about how, um, Doug, you met me at the lowest moment of my life. And uh, my son is better. The bullying has stopped. Um, he, I feel like I got my son back. And he said, and beyond that, I just feel like I got my life back. And I just, you know, and we just texted back and forth about that. But he just said, I'm a changed man. And that's all, that's an example of the hope. But one thing that held him up last year, I wanted to tell his story because one thing he kept saying to me when we first started meeting was like, Doug, I, there's no way I belong in a church. Like there's no way I belong even having God think about me. If you knew all the stuff I'd done, if you know all the, and I just need to throw that out there because I think sometimes there's an impression that church is a place for perfect people. <laughs> if, if that's the case, I'm out of here. Like I, that can't be, right? That church is a place for people who are broken, people who are, have, have put their hopes in the wrong things, people who have hurt people. Uh, and yet God meets us in his love and his grace. He meets us where we are. If you are broken, if you have jacked up your life and hurt a lot of people, this is exactly where you need to be. I would say just join the crowd. Like you're one of us. And we all, the equalizer in this room and equalizer in the live stream is that we all need Jesus Christ. We're all broken people. And Jesus is the hope for helpless people like us. All right? And so the last, last point is this, is that Jesus, uh, the resurrection is hope for the future. Um, no, we, 
wait, it's hope for humanity, right? So it's got to be an H, not an F. So it's a hope for humanity, all right? So I don't know if you noticed this, but the way the story ended in Mark, did it, did it leave you wanting a little bit more? I'll just read the last sentence again. So this is the resurrection ending in Mark. It says, And they went out and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. <laughs> End of story. So um, in some of your Bibles, not to get too deep, and we can talk about it later, but some of your Bibles may have verses 9 to 20 in an ending for Mark, but you'll also see that bracketed, and sometimes there's like a little statement at the bottom of that page in the Bible that says, some manuscripts don't include this part of Mark. These were found in later manuscripts. And what that basically means is the Bible is one of the most uh, reliable sources of history that we have on the planet because of the number of documents that you can read and, and cross-check with each other. But one thing they've noticed is that the earliest versions of the Gospel of Mark just stopped at verse 8. And then it's almost like some people think 100, 200 years later, that next part was put in. And I can kind of understand why. Like, if you read up through verse 8, wouldn't you be ready for... And then what? Like, and then what did the women do? Like, they saw resurrected Jesus. And the other Gospels do go on and tell us. But it's like Mark stops at verse 8. It's like, what, what's up? And so here's what I think is going on. Mark is writing the Gospel of Jesus to Christians living in Rome at the time. If you know anything about Roman history at that time, this was a brutal place to be a follower of Christ. A lot of opposition. And so you can tell throughout the Gospel, he's writing to people that know what it's like to struggle with a new faith, but to be excited about Jesus. And so there's a couple other times in the gospel where Mark will just lay out an amazing statement and then just kind of back off. And I think what he's doing is it's, it's, a, it's a literary device to bring the reader into the story. So like he, I think he, Mark wants us to get to verse 8 and go, and then what did you do? Like, how could you be quiet? You just saw Jesus alive. You just saw an empty tomb. Like, you went and told people, right? Like, your life was totally different from then on, right? And so that's, that's exactly right, because this changes everything. And that's what Mark's trying to do. If you read through the Gospel of Mark, the word immediately happens 44 times. Like, he's a man of action. And then they did what? And then they did what? And so I think he's grabbing us all right here and pulling us in and saying, and then you did what? Like, here is an amazing message, and then what are you going to do with this? Because if you think it through, like, Jesus has just conquered sin. He's just conquered death. He's just risen to life. He's invited us to follow him. He's invited us to lead him, to just listen to what he teaches, do what he says. Look who's offering us that. Mark is saying, why wouldn't you run after him? Come what may, whatever challenges you face, whatever people might say, why aren't you going to just follow this Jesus? And so um, I just, just to kind of wrap us up, I just read through the Bible this week with this thought in mind. Why don't people just go after Jesus, okay? Like why, I'm just, one, one word that's been coming to mind for me this week is the word awaken. Jesus, would you awaken us to the reality of the empty tomb? Would you awaken us to the hope that we have in Christ? And as we're reading through the Bible, there's a couple of descriptions. The Bible's very honest about us, that if, if we don't like show a strong change or reaction to the resurrection, there's a couple of things that could be going on. One is, sometimes the Bible describes it as we're being blinded, that we're being blinded, that maybe we're looking at other things as being more important than Jesus. And sometimes there's a spiritual component to that, that the devil loves to blind us from really seeing who Jesus is. And so my encouragement to you, and I've seen so many people do this when they're at a crossroads, when they're presented with the truth about Jesus, 
to just pray an honest prayer, to say, Jesus, uh, would you open my eyes to help me really understand this? And so maybe if you've never believed in Jesus, that's your prayer this morning. That's your assignment. It's just like, wow, Jesus, I just have never put all this together before. Um, Would you open my eyes and show me what's true? And it's so cool to hear story after story of people that Jesus just present truth after truth after truth, all right? But I could also say that to some of you that maybe you've been around Easter for a long time, but if you look at how you're living this year, you go, man, I don't see a ton of evidence that I really believe Jesus is alive. So God, would you open my eyes this morning to what you're calling me to do next? Not to just keep looking back and all the things I've done for you in the past, but like, is there something fresh you're calling me to today, all right? So let me pray, just like read a passage to you. This would be my prayer over us this morning. Uh, This is something Paul wrote to Christians in Ephesus. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. God, if we're blind this morning, open our eyes to how awesome Jesus is. That's my prayer for us. The second thing I saw in the Bible when I was going through, why don't people respond to this? The next description God gave is that sometimes we can have a hard heart. It can be because our hearts are hard. And when I looked into that, there's a couple reasons why people's hearts are hard. One is they've been hurt or wounded. And sometimes if you've been hurt, maybe even by a church or by Christians, or there's been a wounding in your life that sometimes you just trace to God and say, God, how could, how could I believe in a God that did this to me? We'll, we'll harden our hearts to protect our hearts. And I want you to know this, that when God sees a hardened heart that's hurt, what God loves to do is not scold and yell at that heart or beat it up with a stick but he loves to come alongside. The Bible says God draws near to broken hearts. God knows what it's like to have a broken heart. Remember in this whole Easter narrative, God offered his own son to die on our behalf. So he's not angry at you for your hardened heart if you're hurt. He, he draws next to you because he loves you and he wants to walk with you. And that is a ra- radical concept in any other religion that we have a God who suffers with us and who walks with us through suffering. So please know that. I have personally seen that truth just flip a couple around. It was so angry at the loss of a teenage son. But just to know that God draws near to broken hearts just changed, changed their perspective. But another reason our heart can be hard, this can be a little trickier, is that sometimes we're so proud, we think we don't need God. Like, I don't need any of this stuff. I got this. And um, my encouragement to you is, is to pray that God would help you have a humble heart. There's a truth in the Bible that says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so if you choose to have a hard heart and just do this life your way and not God's way, then you are going to be opposing God for the rest of the days of your life. And God's preference would be more that we would humble ourselves, okay? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so for any of us this morning that just finally lays it down, like Brent said earlier, like I'm done trying to do this on my own. I'm done trying to to just be my own God and do my own thing. 
to that person, God just pours grace into your life. He is with you and for you. Okay, that's the posture. That's the banner God would love for every one of us to leave with today is to know that God is for you, that God is with you. And the way he has proven that is through the death of Jesus on the cross. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he is for you, all right? But for some of us, it might just take an act of humility. So here's what I'd like you to do to wrap up. There's, these cards are like all over the room. If you could grab one, they should be in the chair back in front of you or there's some on the seats up here up front and there should be some pens too. I would love to bring you into the gospel story just like Mark is trying to call us to action. Um, I'd like you to take these cards and you'll see there's kind of three, kind of three boxes there and you could check one of these. The first one is, um, have you already accepted Jesus as your savior? Like, have you already trusted the gospel? And if you would check that, what I'd love to hear from you is, what are some things he has done for you? What are some ways that you've seen God move in your life? You've heard from Chris and Liz. You heard a little bit from Brent. But what would you chime in there? Guys, I read last night's stack this morning. It was just awesome to see thing after thing, like story after story. So uh, if for nothing else, it fires up your pastor. Okay, could you do that? That would be awesome. Okay, the second category would be this. If this is new to you this morning, but you think you're ready for this, like I want to take a step. I want to start following Jesus. I'm done kind of just thinking about it and just kind of dancing around it. I want to go for it. That would be the second box, okay? We had some people do that last night too, and that was really sweet to read that. I haven't read the eight o'clock one yet. It's not a competition. It's not like you guys have to beat last night at eight o'clock, but this is really awesome. That's why uh, I'm really praying a lot that some people would understand the gospel for the first time today. So if that's you, just check that second box. And if you would like a leader, um, like one of the pastors or leaders here, to kind of touch base with you and help you get going on next steps, if you could give us your name and email, that would be great. Or feel free to talk to any of us this morning, like the green badge guys, the white badge or green badge guys. Like just check that second box or talk to us. But this third category, I would love this too. Like if you're today just going, I don't think I believe this. I still have my questions. I'd love to hear what those questions are. That would really help me as a pastor here to just know how to address questions people still have. So if you are in that kind of that third camp, just check that third box. And if you could just take a minute, write a couple of responses there. We're gonna sing a couple more songs. And then at the end of the morning, the ushers are gonna come and just kind of pick these up. We're gonna leave them on the end of the row. And so you've got a little bit of time to do it. But if you have questions, I'd love to hear what those are. And then once again, if you would like to dialogue with one of the leaders here about your questions, then if you could give us your name and email, we'd love to set up times to just talk or get you information. You can remain totally anonymous. Like you don't have to give us name and email, but if you'd like to tell us that you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus or that you've got questions, we'd love to interact with you, all right? So let me pray and then we'll continue worshiping Jesus. So uh, Jesus, thank you for this great morning that we get to gather and just celebrate the most significant event on the planet, that the Son of God came. He died on the cross, proving your love for us, that you died for a bunch of sinners like me. And then death didn't hold you back. Sin didn't hold you back. You broke free from the powers of sin and death. And Jesus, you rose. And today you are a living Savior. 
And so for those of us who put our faith in you, there's also the opportunity to break free from sin and death and to have eternal life, to have a hope, not just today, but for all of eternity. And so I pray for those that still have questions. God, give them courage to investigate those questions and may they find the hope that's in Christ. And God, for those that are just just ready to do this today or they just did it, God, I just pray that you would give them just the direction they need to just get going with you and to take off with you. And for all of us, God, would there be an awakening? Would we see with new eyes how awesome this hope is? And would our lives change because of the empty tomb? In your great name we pray. Amen.